Welcome to the Forensic Cop Podcast. This is LFC Core. Looking forward. Looking back. So we have finally raised the trophy. We we clinched it a while ago. We raised it recently uh, with the last home game. So it kind of got me thinking about previous Liverpool teams, essentially going back to the last time that we raised the trophy in 89-90. So it's been 30 years, and I thought, you know what, why not take a a walk through history and talk about the 89-90 team and see how it compares to today. Okay. So the 89-90 team, so again, right, so we all have rosy memories of history, but then when I actually take a look at the numbers, it is quite shocking. So this Liverpool team is on its way to finishing in the high 90s in points. And the 89-90 team won the league with 79 points. And second place was Aston Villa with 70. So talk about like a different time, eh? Yeah, well, for sure, very different from the past four years, maybe three to four years with Man City and Liverpool, but not out of the ordinary for what we saw in the early 2000s, some of the mid-90s as well. So yeah, when I looked back uh, at Man U and how they were doing in terms of their glory years, I realized that, you know what, it wasn't so much that they were that great a team that they were dominating everyone. There just weren't any of these runaway teams like Liverpool and Man U are. So, you know, it is it is kind of shocking looking back then, not to say that Liverpool weren't a great team, but they ended up with 79 points, Aston Villa had 70, and Tottenham Hotspur were in third with 63 points. Like when you think of the game today, where would 63 points get you? It wouldn't get you in third place Champions League. You know what I mean? So it feels like it's a very different league now. Yes, for sure. And and there's several ways you can look at that. You could say it's a weaker league. And so a couple of teams are able to just dominate the way Liverpool and Man City have been. Or that it's a stronger league, but there's just two outliers. So I actually take it all back because Man U and Chelsea are now tied for third place with 63 points. So obviously the third place hasn't moved, but place number one and two has moved. So Liverpool is going to hit the high 90s. So yeah, it's it's a it might be, to your point, the same league. It's just Liverpool and Man City are now the outliers. And let's not forget that back in 89-90, that was uh, before a huge influx of uh, TV revenue. Uh, before the actual creation of the Premier League. And teams like um, Man City weren't owned by, you know, money pits from the Middle East. They, for the most part, these were legitimate teams with business operations. Uh, So interestingly, uh, top scorers back then, the team was in a lot of ways very similar to the, the team today. So John Barnes had 22 Goals, Ian Rush had 18, and Peter Beardsley had 10, and everyone else was in the single digits, which kind of makes me think of the Salah, Mane, and Firmino, who basically have almost the same amount of points, or goals, rather. This season? or This season. Yeah, so I'm in, in looking at the two teams, I'm just kind of, I was thinking, you know, what a different game we play, uh, how things are so different both in the game and Klopp's style of of play but then you're talking about you've got two top-notch scorers 
uh, in Saleh and Mane. And back then you had Rush and Barnes. You had one guy who was kind of in the middle there, which is what Firmino is now. And then everybody else was on a, you know, sing, low single digits. So it's interesting. Like, even though the game has changed, even though the teams have changed, the, the structure of the goal scoring has stayed the same between the two teams. Between now and then, well, I mean, if you compare this team to that team, yes, but for sure, in between, a lot has a lot has changed. And that 89-90 team was on the tail end of the Liverpool team that had dominated the 80s. So a lot of players were aging, and there wasn't a clear transition plan, let's say, from the mid or mid to late 80s into the 90s. So a lot of what had, had to happen with the tra- transition ended up being abrupt, which is what led to our uh, continued downturn after that. And then that coincided with Manchester United finally getting their their um, system right. Yeah, so to to your point, it was the, the last year for Kenny Dalglish. And so he, uh, he retired after that year. His last game was in May. Uh, interestingly, that team uh, clinched the championship uh, with uh, two games to spare. And this year's team, obviously, with uh, seven games to spare. So a big difference in that, just in terms of the dominance of the team. Uh, compared to the league, right? And you said that Aston Villa was the runners runner up that year, right? Aston Villa was the runner up that year, yeah. With and they were nine points behind where we're looking this year that we're truly running away with the league. Um, you know, we're we're gonna have. I guess we were gonna have a twenty something point lead, but it's been whittled down now to uh, about eighteen points with one game left. Mm-hmm. So again, fantastic uh, team that we have now, but it's just interesting looking back and thinking, you know, uh, back in the day when 79 points were enough to win the league, which just wouldn't happen anymore. Uh, Goal differential, we're at at, uh, 50 uh, goal differential. They are at 41. Again, two top scorers, legends. You have to think, you know, when you're you're talking about Salah and Mane, you have to believe that both of those will, both of them will probably go down in in the folklore of, of Liverpool. And at the same time, you think of the team from back then, um, in terms of their top scorers, and of course, you know their, you know Barnes, uh, obviously, and Ian Rush. Yeah, and I think that year, I think there were twenty teams. Sorry, not twenty. There were a few more teams in the league that year, right? So are- that was before the Premier League was created. That was literally the year right. before the Premier League was created. Right. So there were 20 teams exactly. Mm-hmm. And so, again, it's a, a different time. Interesting to look back. Sadly, I think a lot of the people cheering for Liverpool today can't even remember the last time Liverpool raised the trophy, or if they can, it's such a distant memory like it is for us. You know, if you had asked me uh, before I looked it up, how many points did we win by who were meh, maybe the top scorers we would have known. But just it's it's been such a long time. Um, but to your point, that was the end of the last uh, period of Liverpool dominance. Uh, hopefully, this is the beginning of a new period for us. Facts and figures. So Liverpool's record for goals for and against after we clinched the title. Not 
particularly something to write home about. Now, obviously, we clinched the title, but I'm wondering, is there anything to be concerned about? And how do we compare against our record prior to that? So we haven't looked good. I mean, I think that speaks for itself. Anyone with with eyes is seeing that we haven't looked great. Um, The more concerning part uh, is potentially, is this something that can bleed over into future? So the numbers are a, a little bit shocking, more on the goals against. So it actually isn't as bad on the goals for side. So in terms of goals for, we were averaging two and a quarter goals a game. Now we're averaging two. So this is since we clinched. Uh, so it's not bad. There's a bit of a drop off. Uh, but, you know, one Mo Salah uh, tip in here, one Mo Salah tip in there, because he seems to have missed more than anybody else, would have rectified it. So not a huge deal. It's the goals against that's truly terrifying. Our goals against average per game has basically tripled. So we were averaging... Uh, just under 0.7 goals a game and we're averaging almost two goals against per game so we've given up 11 goals in in six games that is unbelievable so it like i i knew we weren't doing as well but i guess i was surprised that on the goals for we aren't as far off as i thought we were but on the goals against like we've our defense has just fallen apart completely now do you think that simply due to a drop in in concentration and intensity or is that to do with other teams being able to eventually figure out how to beat us or at least how to get get by us so i would suspect it has more to do and this is again more of a guess has more to do with us than them because uh you know like i think we can all agree that the last few games uh van dyke has looked like you know a top-notch defender, not far and away the best defender in the world unless you have no idea what soccer's about. So, like, clearly there's been a drop-off in him. Uh, I also wonder if maybe some of it is a drop-off in, you know, with Hendo injured, uh, maybe there's just not the same discipline on the field. And and the other side, to your point, is other teams that they figured us out. I don't know if other teams figured us out, but I would definitely say other teams are hungrier than we are. Now, here's something. Do you think that there's been a drop-off in the coaching staff, starting with Klopp? Uh, I don't know. Klopp still seems to show kind of the same level of intensity. In fact, after after the game where we raised the trophy, so the one against Chelsea, I remember in an interview he even said he was on the sideline and he wanted to have fun, but he got caught up in the game and he started getting angry and the way he usually is. So I actually don't know if Klopp can turn it off. So... Because of that, I'm going to go with, I think Klopp is the same. I just wonder if the players are the same. Right. And and I think that started right from the, the restart. Because uh, if you recall, prior to that, after every game we'd won, the press would ask Henderson or whoever was speaking on Liverpool's behalf, um, whether we're one step closer to the title and can, can we say it's in the bag? And they'd always come back with the 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 mantra of one game at a time this is just one more game we're um, closer to our goal however we still have games to play etc 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 but right after the restart it, it was just assumed from Klopp to Henderson right down that okay we've won the league it's just a matter of time and I wonder if that kind of played into a, a psychological drop-off in intensity 
I mean, I think it's hard to achieve your goal and then cr- and then maintain the same level of intensity. If, right. for example, Klopp had said at the beginning of the season, boys, our goal is to get 100 points, it would have been a different story. I think everyone acknowledged that this year, you know, last year we won Champions League. We went and won the Club World Cup. Uh, we obviously don't care about the English Cups. So it's all about the EPL title. So... Uh, it was all about going out for it. And yeah, I mean, on the front end, it seems to be working about the same, but it's definitely on the back end is the drop. Uh, Gomez, I think, has looked fairly good, but Van Dyke has kind of come back a bit. And other teams are just hungry. Like you see the desire that other teams have that we are a little, a, a touch slower, maybe, or a touch, I don't want to say less interested. But, you know, is is would you have expected to give up three goals against Chelsea, for example? Or would you have expected to get crushed uh, for nothing by Man City? Right? That's not a typical team that we've come to expect now. Or even the two goals we gave against Arsenal, which were of our own making. Those were like, so- when was the last time you can remember a Liverpool team giving up two goals literally giving them up as opposed to the other team earning anything like one mistake here and there is pretty rare for this team but two of them in the same game i think to your point that speaks to maybe a a mental uh you know softening as it were so to go back to the original question the only concern that i would have is i wanted us to maintain the mystique that we had most of the season where no team in england felt as if they could beat us including Manchester City and we felt as if we couldn't lose to any team and that has kind of been eroded in a way in the in the past few games and I just want to make sure that we start next season without that in mind that we, we want to to restamp our authority over the other teams so and, and then have them play within themselves because they're afraid of 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 overexposing their themselves so what i would say is i would actually go the other way which is liverpool uh if i if i have it right has three wins uh what is it two losses and a draw uh in the six games since uh clinching so basically if i were another team i look at it and i say liverpool wins half their games when they don't even care if they come into this game and they care yeah i'm smoked so i can also see the other side which is it is clear that liverpool is lacking an edge i think we've all seen that it's clear that the defense is lacking an edge all of that is clear um and so in a way you think liverpool would still be a top team with this type of uh you know again it's a it's a small example but think about it. We played Chelsea, we played Arsenal, and we played Man City in the six games. So it's not like these were easy games, and we still came out with three wins and a draw. So even not caring, we're still not doing that badly. You know what? Maybe that does get into other teams' heads, especially if we start off next season strong. You know, they think when they didn't care, they were better than everybody. Now that they do care, we're going to get killed. So let's go back to the Man City game. Do you think that has any significance on next season? 
No, I think that was a game that Man City uh, wanted to show that they were, you know, still relevant and they still matter and they can still beat us if they want to. And I think that was a game where one team gave their whole effort and the other team was, you know, hungover. I think what we're going to see next season is teams going for us before fans return to the stadiums. Because I think it's clear now that our fans play such an important part in our journey and and our games that teams will know that without the fans, this is when they have this the even the slightest chance to either get a tie or win from a game against Liverpool. So it's so important that that we start off intense and similar to what we did the past two seasons. I I think that's a great point. I I wouldn't want the mystique of Anfield to be lost and I wouldn't want like a, a flaw to be exposed. So in my head, I guess, maybe it's more wishful thinking than anything else. I think this is just a case of the team is, you know, taking a breath. You can't maintain that level of intensity forever. And if you don't believe me, look at Man City and look at they had two fantastic seasons where they they were unbelievable even though they didn't win the Champions League and yet this year they just can't match that in the EPL. I just don't think you can maintain it forever. So for me, I'm okay with them having a little bit of a mental break now as long as they start the season strong, which I suspect Klopp will prepare them for. I'm hoping for no hangover. Uh but I'm I'm going to chalk this up to uh breaking a 30-year drought and thinking you know what it's time to party it's time to have a little bit of fun and maybe losing a little bit of that intensity critique and commentary so in the last uh, few games that we've had uh, captain jordan henderson has been injured and i'm wondering in looking at the games have you seen any sort of drop off uh, from the team maybe in terms of a leadership perspective yeah, so even putting aside the leadership, just simply what he does for our team, nobody else seems to be able to do that the way he does, right? So he doesn't he's not the most skillful player. He's extremely technical. He is vocal, but most importantly, he's 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 like Fabinho with a little bit more grit, if that's even possible. A little bit more grit and technique where he's always looking to see how he can improve the situation for all the players around him. And he, he, he covers a lot of the, the field. Yeah, and- I mean, he gets everywhere. So first of all, he'll run anywhere that he needs to run to. And he seems to just keep going. I mean, he's he's not quite Milner, but he's well on the way to that level of just being everywhere and and never stop running. Uh, but I would agree with you. I think I think he doesn't have maybe the same level of talent as some of the other guys. But the willpower is just unquestionable. And you would think that that should be an easy skill set to replicate, right? So let's take a player like Wijnaldum. You would think that he would be he should be able to do what Henderson does. And yet, I don't know if he has it in him. And I don't know the reason. I can't put my hand on the reason why. So... It's so in terms of the the hierarchy, it's Hendo is first and Milner is second in terms of captaincy. Uh, and when, I think when you look at Milner, you see it. Like Milner is the consummate professional, and I mean Klopp's criticism of him is he runs too much. 
Klopp would like him almost to be a bit more cerebral sometimes and not just go, go, go the whole time. So, uh, you know, that, that passion, that desire, that drive, I would agree. I, I guess I don't think it's that hard. It clearly is, but it must be something to do with personality. Cause the other thing I've noticed is with Hendo out, we're not in the referee's ear as much. Yeah, that is a, a concern for sure. So that's where the leadership comes into play. Whoever is captaining in in the absence of Henderson and Milner is not doing a good enough job manipulating the referee, which is a it it is part of the black arts. But all the all the teams do it, and you you kind of need to do it these days. I mean, I mean, and again, it's not so much necessarily manipulating in a bad way, but it's, for example, I, I think back to the Chelsea game that was played where Salah got kind of pushed down when he was trying to do a run through the box the first time. Then he got clear fouled the second time obstructed. Uh, you would have, I would have expected to see someone in the ref's ear saying that's two, there better not be a third. Like just a very forceful, like, and and you can see when when Hendo's talking to the ref, it's not a hey man, I hope you're having a good day. That was a little bit of a boo boo. It's a, like you better not screw me again. So like you you feel the passion and the desire oozing off the guy, and so I do wonder is there someone like that in the team with Hendo not there, or are we seeing a bit of a drop down in intensity because he's not there? Yes, I, I, I agree we are seeing a drop down. But as so you about- would look, for example, at a previous captain that we had, which was Gerard, right? So before Hendo, it was Gerard. And Gerard might not have been as vocal, but I feel like something that the two of them had in common was, I mean, it could have been a 5 nothing game that we were losing. Uh, Gerard would still be going as hard as possible right until the last whistle. And I feel like you get that from Henderson too. There's never any letdown, no matter what. I think that intangible quality that we're, we're trying to articulate is simply footballing IQ, right? So I think that he's probably the most intelligent footballing wise in the team. And he uses that to determine how he makes his runs because he's not just a headless chicken running all over the place. And he 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 kind of he almost was that at the start of his Liverpool career, but you can see that he's just grown and with his experience, he's just able to now see the entire field, know when and how to influence the referees, know when to push a little bit harder, who on the field needs help whether to to make more runs or, or or to cover for another player. He he's just able to see the whole field and to know what role he has to play. And I guess that's just something that you you cannot buy. So I would agree. I think that's something you can't buy. I think to some degree you can learn it. But then I would ask the intensity side of him. Is that something that is necessary in a captain? And is that something that you just have or is that something you learn? I don't think it's necessary in a captain. I think it's something that you just have or or choose to use. There are, there are a lot of players who are not intense. However, because of their extremely, either they're extremely talented or they have an extremely high footballing IQ and they just know that they don't have to exert themselves at all times. So take someone like Xabi Alonso. 
he he was a very intelligent player. He was not the most energetic around the field. However, because of his 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 intelligence on the field, he was able to to um to push his teammates forward and to to be that pivot between the defense and, and the attack. So so I think the intensity is just simply one of the the attributes that Jordan Henderson provides and knows how to to use to the team's advantage because of his high intelligence. However, I don't think it's necessary for for a leader to 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 have intensity. So, for example, we saw in the Chelsea game that Van Dyke got the captain's armband, uh, and and again, I think Van Dyke is perfect for his position in that he's very calm and relaxed with, you know, a, a fabulous skill set and speed and everything like that. But is he maybe a little bit too laid back to be captain? Possibly. I think especially because he plays in the defense. So the last captain that we had as a defender was Sammy Hupia. And it wasn't that he was more intense but he simply he he tended to to have more authority on the field or perhaps what it was is we have a lot of good players now and so he as good as van dyke is he doesn't necessarily stand out as one of the few world-class players we have we have class all over the field right as opposed to to back then when hippia was one of the better players in a mostly average team when, when he was captain. So it was easy to say, yes, he stands out as a captain, but I wouldn't say he was any more intense or argued in the ref's ear any, any more than Van Dyke. So kind of one of the things to, to keep in mind is when you, when you listen to other players on the team talk about Jordan Henderson and they talk about what he brings, um, there, there seems to be a real, um, high level of respect and appreciation for what he does, not just in terms of trying, but in terms of, um, you know, the intangibles that he brings. Uh, one of the things that got me is, is recently they put out an LFC carpool thing, um, which was recorded previously, uh, before COVID. And again, it's funny, you know, you, you listen to it and, and it's a funny bit and it's amusing and entertaining. But one of the things that I took from it was where they were talking about if someone had to live with you, um, you know, who would it be Robertson or Henderson? And Alexander Arnold was the guy deciding and he said it would be uh, Henderson because he keeps his room so clean. And then Ox's comment to that was, Something to the effect of, you know, it's just like on the field where he goes everywhere and cleans up after everyone. Right. And it's that kind of like, it's that feeling that maybe the rest of the team has. So I don't know if maybe that's because it's a midfield position. I know we've talked previously about captains. Um, I am, I am vehemently opposed to captains being goalies. I think that's a huge mistake because you can never talk to the ref, uh, but then the other side is, I wonder, maybe a central defender like Van Dyke maybe isn't the best because he needs to stay back and he can't be in the ref's ear if the play is on the other end of the field. Maybe a midfielder or a forward even is more ideally suited for it. So let's say next season, Milner and Henderson are injured or suspended for three games each. And obviously the captaincy will go to Van Dyke. But in the midfield, what do we do with 
with our three-man midfield to ensure that the intensity, the IQ, and the leadership in the middle of the park is not lost. Who do we play there? So are you are you ready for uh, my... I'm, I'm going to blow your mind here with my answer. You're going to okay. be like, that's not even possible. I would go with Keita. Oh, I would too. So, and the reason I say that is I recall back to an earlier game. I don't recall exactly when it was. It was a while ago where the team seemed a little bit like it was on edge a bit. And he kind of got the ball and just stopped the ball and and did a little move to get away from the other player and just kind of put his foot on top of the ball and like looked at everyone and just kind of put his hand like calm down, calm down. Like he felt the, uh, the, the, he felt how the team was feeling. He understood it. And he understood, like, he just told everyone, take a breath. And I, like, to me, that goes a long way. He's got a good pulse of the team. And I think that's a big thing. Yes, I agree. And he was actually the player that I was thinking of um, since the restart. He has- we, we think the same way too much, Matt. <laughs> well, not all the time. but No, that's he true. Has, he has really been growing into the role. And I'm, I'm seeing more of the freedom of expression in him. And he is an intelligent player. He's skillful and he can be intense. And I think he's he would be a good player to ensure that we have on the field anytime Henderson and Milner are unavailable. So I would agree because one of the other things that was in that carpool thing that also got my my thought was if you're stuck in the world, the question was for Alexander Arnold, if you're stuck in the wilderness and you can only have one of Robertson or Henderson, who do you take? And Ox's comment to that was like, you have to take Anderson. And I even wrote this down word for word. Imagine the willpower Hendo would bring with him. He would never give up. And I feel if you look outside of Milner and Henderson, I do feel like Keita has that level of willpower. I feel like he's come in at the 85th minute in a game that's either already won or we've got no hope. And he still pushes. He still goes as if it was the first minute. And I appreciate that. And I think the other players do too. For more stories, analysis, and articles, go to the forensicop.com website.